0: all the books a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases this is episode 210 and today we are talking about books being released on may 28th 2019 and more i'm liberty hardy here with kim Yukura, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com
1: hello hello thank What's you for fun? having me on all the books Oh, you're very welcome. We're kind
0: of doing like a podcast swap because after we finish recording this, I'm going to appear on uh, For Real. So that's kind of exciting.
1: It is exciting. Yeah, it's, uh, this is my first time on all the books. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm excited about it.
0: Would you mind telling listeners a little bit
1: about what you
0: do? In general,
1: yeah, or for Book Riot or whatever you want to say. Yeah, um, so for my day job, I do communications for a uh, public library system in Minnesota. I do social media and um, some of their digital communications. I get to advocate for libraries, which is awesome. Uh, and then at Book Riot, I um, am a contributing editor where I do our nonfiction newsletter, uh, True Story, and co-host our nonfiction podcast, For Real, uh, with Alice Burton, who is uh, awesome and super funny. She is. <laughs> She's so funny. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Well, we are going to talk about books today, because that's what we do. Um, I'm very excited. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get started. Um, actually, before I get started, I think I'm going to do our ad spot. Um, I'm going to talk about FabFitFun, because they're awesome, and they are back. Are you a beauty maven constantly on the hunt for the next best thing? then you must try FabFitFun. FabFitFun is a seasonal subscription box that delivers full-size beauty, fashion, home, fitness, and wellness products four times a year for just $49.99 a box. Every box is guaranteed to have over $200 in retail value. And the 2019 FabFitFun summer box is on sale now. Um, So I got one in the mail. They sent me one. It's amazing. It's like, I sound like a nerd or maybe like a cat, but I like to keep the boxes because they're Uh so pretty they're like florally and they have all these cool patterns like you get this cool box it's like it's a little bit bigger than a shoe box and this um this one has like pink hibiscuses hibiscus i don't know um and it's like teal and it's like lovely and inside is all kinds of amazing stuff there's a really cool bag there's a, a nourishing styling cream there's an exfoliating foot mask which i didn't know was a thing there is a lovely rose spray. Um, there's a necklace. There's some other things. I don't want to spoil everything for you, um, but it's just so much fun. And like these are full size products, and they're great. Um, and I was reading the backs of lots of these because, as most of you know, I do um, eat vegan, and I'm I'm very conscious. And a lot of these are you know not tested on animals, which is really great. Made me very happy. And yeah, so like I just have all this cool stuff. I've never used this kind of stuff and now it's coming to me and I'm just like, this is so much fun. Like, why have I never done this before? Um, so if you would like to do this, you can customize your box by choosing some products and add-ons or be surprised with each box. It's great for discovering new brands and products. So sign up for FabFitFun today, but the boxes always sell out. So make sure you hurry and get yours now. And you'll get $10 off your first box when you use the code books at fabfitfun.com. So that's promo code books to get over $200 worth of products for only $39.99. Again, go to fabfitfun.com and use the code books to get $10 off your first FabFitFun box. And we thank them for sponsoring. All right. So now I am going to talk about my first book. Excellent. It is... Sorry I'm late. I didn't want to come. One Introvert's Year of Saying Yes by Jessica Pan. Uh, and so this is her memoir about being an introvert. Um, she talks about what it means to be an introvert and uh, how that it's mistake. Uh, people mistakenly think that introverts aren't outgoing, but you can be like an outgoing introvert. You just feel like very uncomfortable around people, but you can still be like outgoing. She herself is a shy introvert. She calls herself a shintrovert. Um, and she really does not enjoy being in crowds going to parties like she like she just has a really hard time it makes her very anxious and she talks about how she had lived most of her life like this and then a few years ago she was going through this very difficult period in her life um, she had lost her job or, or left her job and she her friends had all moved away um, and her former coworker was talking about how like she met her boyfriend while she was standing in line for something and she got her job because she had a conversation with this woman at a party and she was diagnosed with something because she had a conversation with a doctor at another party. And she started thinking about like what it would be like if she put herself out there, if she tried doing these things, um, you know, what different things would come into her life that way. And so she decides that she's going to spend a year saying yes to these kind of experiences. And not only that, but she's like seeking them out, She's asking for expert uh, information, expert opinions on what she should do. Um, for instance, like, just for starters, she calls this expert in um, social communications and in, in extroverts and introverts and says, you know, what what should I do? And he basically talks to her and he says, what's the thing that you are the most afraid of? Like, why do you fear like being out? And she says, you know, I'm afraid of being humiliated in front of strangers. And so he says, Okay, this is what you're gonna do. You're gonna go humiliate yourself in front of strangers. This is my advice for people. And so he tells her, because she's living in London, he tells her to go up to strangers and say, Uh, you know, I'm having a hard time. Could could you tell me, is that do we have a queen? And what is her name? And so she's like, This is ridiculous, and and I'm and I'm gonna die of embarrassment. And he's like, perfect, so try it. And so she does, and she realizes like she didn't die of embarrassment, and it was kind of funny, and most people just looked at her like she was a little off, or there was something wrong, but you know, it wasn't as horrible as she thought. And so she talks to some other experts about, you know, what she should do. She gets various suggestions. She tries performing stand up, she hosts a party, she does all kinds of uncomfortable things. Um, it's very funny, it's very smart. I also want to say that it's not for everyone. If you are introverted and you don't feel comfortable, you know, she's not saying like this is the cure or that you have to do this if you feel uncomfortable being out in social situations this is just her own experience and you know I she talks about you know some hints for like finding like a comfortable middle zone like if you're if you don't like to be out but you would like to spend some more time out you know but also like I read some good reads reviews of this and you know there were some people who were like I could not read this um you know like it's it's stressing me out just reading the, the description and so if that's it's if that's you then that is okay it is not the book for you um, but I just find it to be very interesting. Again, it is called Sorry I'm Late, I Didn't Want to Come, One Introvert's Year of Saying Yes by Jessica Pan.
1: That sounds so interesting. It's like if Quiet by Susan Kane met a stunt memoir like what would happen that yeah. sounds really good it's like susan yeah. king meets aj jacobs yes exactly there we go very cool um so my first book is one that actually like i have to give kind of a hat tip to alice because uh, she's really excited about this book uh, and it's called stay sexy and don't get murdered the definitive how-to guide by karen kagaroff and georgia hardstock or hardstack hard stark oh my goodness Um, And so this is a collection of essays from the co-hosts of the My Favorite Murder podcast, um, which I have to confess, I haven't listened to it very much. But Alice is a huge fan, and she has told me over and over again to listen to it. And she's really excited about this book. It's their first essay collection. Um, And so it's basically just the two of them kind of going back and forth via essays, sharing stories about like everything, depression and eating disorders and addiction, and also like mistakes and fears and inspirational stories and really funny stories from when they were kids and kind of what that taught them. Um, and it's just, it's uh, it's really fun. So um, I think to get a sense of what the book is like, I just should tell you some of the early chapter titles. Um, one of them is called F Politeness, except F is, you know, the actual word. Um, another one is called You're in a Cult, Call Your Dad. Uh, another one is Don't Be a Lunatic. And they're just these really great stories about mm, their lives and stuff like that. There's one about um, I can't remember which person, but talks about growing up as a latchkey kid and like has this whole essay about like at 3 o'clock you get home and open the door and this happens and then you fight with your sister and then you eat all of the sugar in the cupboard and um, I thought it was super funny. Um, so the essays are very conversational so they're like kind of sitting down and having a friend give you these lessons on life and love and all of these other things being a functioning person in the world um, which i have to admit at first i wasn't totally sure if i was going to like it like the first chapter is very like hey you're reading our book this is so exciting and i thought like boy if the whole thing is like this like i'm not going to be into it at all but like as i was reading and kind of falling into it it just it just starts to work and it really is really fun um My favorite chapter so far is actually the first one about politeness. And it's basically about like how women are trained to be nice and flexible and adjust themselves for other people. Um, But then um, like why that's dumb and why we shouldn't do that. And so they share some... stories from their own life about times when they basically set off politeness and stood up for themselves in some way. So it's really, really fun and interesting and chatty and cool. So um, that is called Stay Sexy and Don't Get Murdered, The Definitive How-To Guide by Karen Kulgarif and Georgia Hardstack.
0: They're really great. Like I've listened to the show um, a bunch, not recently, but um mm-hmm. I, I want to catch up with it, but I used to, so I used to go to acupuncture, which is amazing. And I loved it and I miss it. And I wish that the woman would come back so I could do it again. And we were all these sitting, like she had these big, like easy chairs and the lights would be off in the room and everybody would be sitting there, like listening to their whale songs, like all the <sighs> 10 people in a circle and I was sitting there listening to a podcast about serial killers, and I was like, I just love that these people have no idea, like, they're sitting in the dark <laughs> with me, or maybe they they looked at me, and they just assumed that this is what I was listening to, but they're just, they're so much fun, and it was, it's been so much fun to see them take off, you know, like, yeah, everything that they get, and they're so great, so, um, and I think this is good, even if you haven't, like, haven't listened to the show, like, I think it's really interesting. Yeah. So my next pick is a novel. It's called How Not to Die Alone by Richard Roper. And it's a life-affirming novel about death. Uh, It's about a man named Andrew. He's sort of a quiet, unassuming guy. He's in his 40s. Uh, He has this public health job in England. um, And it's not a pleasant job. It's kind of a sad job. Um, What he does is when someone uh, in the area passes away uh, at home by themselves, like with no one around and no one steps forward and says, you know, this is my uncle or my grandmother or my mom, or then he goes into their homes. Um He's very respectful. Uh, but what he does is he looks for hints of living relatives or somebody that they could call and say like, you know, um your relative has passed away. And, you know, could you pay for the funeral? Because they do everything that they can before they bury them like in a a common, you know, grave. So, this is what he does and he's kind of like stuck in his life. He's been doing it for years. He doesn't particularly enjoy it, but he doesn't really know what else to do and he's also stuck in that he's stuck in a lie with his coworkers and his boss. It started out uh, when he was applying for the job, there was kind of a misunderstanding and he led his boss to believe that he has a wife and two children and a great big house. His wife is a lawyer and his kids are perfect. And the lie just kept going. And he actually like lives by himself in a little tiny flat. And so, you know, he always has to make up stories and try to remember like, you know, what he's been telling people about his kids and his wife. And like, he keeps, he kind of enjoys it. Like he's giving them all these like great things that have happened to them and great accomplishments. And, you know, he kind of always has an excuse for why like they can't go to his house But then his boss decides he wants to do this team building exercise where everyone is going to host a dinner at their home. And now he's panicking because he doesn't have this fabulous life that he's been telling them about. And also there's a new person who has come to work at their office. Her name is Peggy and she's bubbly and she's full of life and she just makes Andrew so happy. And he feels like he's really got a connection with her and he's bonding with her, but she knows from her, his coworkers that, you know, like he has a wife and children and so now, like, he can't tell her the truth because he might lose her and lose his job. But at the same time, he wants to tell her the truth because he wants to be with her. So it's like, what is he going to do? Um, it has several laugh out loud moments. I was really surprised, but I laughed a lot. It's It sounds sort of sad, but it's also very, very, very funny. Um, also sad, like definitely need tissues, but it's, it's just really great and fun. And... I believe it's being made into a TV show now or a movie. I just saw something about rights going by recently. Um, it's So it's like a delightful book about death, I guess is what you could say. Um, and I just loved it. So it is How Not to Die Alone by Richard Roper.
1: Oh, that sounds really charming and, like, good. Yeah, sometimes even, like, sad novels are, like, still invigorating and, like, yeah, awesome. Um, So my next pick is a novel, which is kind of fun because I never get to talk about novels on For Real because it's a nonfiction podcast. Um, So this was kind of a fun one for me. Um, And it is called Ask Again, Yes by Mary Beth Keene. And this is a book that I started it thinking it was going to be one thing and then it kind of turned into something else. And I loved the something else that it turned into. So that was really cool. Um, So the book starts with these two men, Francis and Brian, who are rookies in the NYPD. Um, And they start out in the same precinct, but they're not really friends. They just kind of, like coexist there and that, but they become neighbors in a suburb outside of New York. So Francis and his family move there first, and then Brian and his wife Anne move in later. Um, so Francis and his wife Lena are the parents of uh, three daughters, but Brian and Anne um, have trouble conceiving. They when they move in, Anne is pregnant, but then she loses that baby pretty late in her pregnancy, um, and then kind of struggles living next to the Francis and Lena because they have these daughters in their kind of. Their life seems like it's going perfectly, and Brian and Anne are really struggling. Um, Anne also has some mental health issues that Brian is kind of not addressing or seems to ignore. So uh, eventually, Anne and Brian do get pregnant again, and they have a son, Peter. And he's born six months apart from Francis and Lena's youngest daughter, Kate. And so the two of them, because they're born so close together, they become best friends, and they grow up together, and they spend all this time together. And uh, Peter is in love with Kate from like kind of the moment he... Even before he really understands what that means, like he just has this feeling that he and Kate are supposed to be together. Um, but in eighth grade, everything kind of changes for them. So Peter and Kate sneak out one night, um, and they kind of Peter declares his love for Kate as an eighth grader, and she. Kind of doesn't know how to respond or whatever, but they they're kind of committed to each other, and then they are but they get caught uh, when they're out, and this sets off a kind of violent confrontation between the two families, and that violent incident breaks them both apart. So Peter and his family move away, um, the Francis and his family, Kate and her. Family are just, they're kind of torn up by this thing. And so Kate and Peter are like lose track of each other because they're eighth graders and they just don't, this is in the past. So they don't have a way to really connect with each other. So they both grow up. And then um, as they're growing up, the book kind of jumps to incidences in the future, kind of going forward, where the two of them connect with each other or their families connect in some way. And you see how this one incident kind of reverberates through both of their families through time. Um, And you see Peter and Kate grow up and find each other and become married and parents and adults with children of their own and just kind of how this this event still trickles out. Um, And so it's one of those really big family saga stories where you kind of pop in and out to the story at different moments and you see like this is a a kind of important incident and for these families, but then um, you kind of get some story about what has happened in the in-between and it's so interesting and so thoughtful and wonderful. Um, And the thing that I really loved about it is that she treats every single character except for one of them with uh, total empathy. So like even when they do terrible things or like something happens to them. You just know that she sort of like loves these people and wants to tell you what is happening to them in a really empathetic and lovely way. Um, Even, you know, people who do something bad, they face consequences, but they're given a chance to redeem themselves, except for one character who kind of slides out and then doesn't really come back. Um, And I just really love that about it. So it's just a nice big, like, jump-in family saga kind of story that I think is really, really well done and really lovely. So uh, that was Ask Again, Yes by Mary Beth Keene. All right.
0: My next pick is These Witches Don't Burn by Isabel Sterling. And it is about queer teen witches in modern Salem. Uh, there's a young woman named hannah she works in uh the flying cauldron which is like a witch shop because if you've ever been to salem mass like they totally capitalize on the fact that people were (laughs) executed there as witches and it's kind of a thing and it's kind of weird if you stop and think about it because people you know you know like modern witches like they take it very seriously and they're very respectful but you know it's still like they're there because they're they originally like were selling you know touristy things because of what took place in the town. Um, But so, so she's working in this shop, the flying cauldron. Uh, She's trying to get over her ex-girlfriend, Veronica. Veronica has broken her heart. She's devastated. Um, It's the end of the school year and summer is coming. And um, both she and her girlfriend are witches. Uh, They take classes with the head, witch. Um, they're not allowed to speak about it. They're not allowed to use their magic in public. Like it's completely forbidden. If you do it, you will, you know, You will have your power stripped from you. Um, They refer to people who don't have magical powers as regs. Uh, Hannah's best friend is Gemma. She is lovely and sweet. And it breaks Hannah's heart that she can't tell Gemma that she is a witch, but she just can't. Um, And so Hannah is an elemental witch and means like things like um, she can go into fire and not get burned. She's kind of like the Daenerys of Salem. And so they go to this party like it's a, it's a graduation party. They go to a party, uh, long story short, this, someone paints a pentagram and sacrifices an animal and everyone's all freaked out. But both Hannah and Veronica know like what it actually is, that there are actual witches in the area. And they're concerned that a blood witch has come to Salem. And so they tell like their parents and the head witch and they're like, well, there's no reason for a blood witch to be in Salem. You know, we would know, and it hasn't happened in forever. But what they don't know is that when Hannah and Veronica were on a class trip, they had occasion to encounter a blood witch. And this, and this explains the reason for their breakup, like what happens there, and sort of like how Hannah had no choice. And Veronica is very manipulative, and she wants, you know, Hannah to stay with her, but like Hannah's over like what she d- plays with her, like does to her head. And um, and so now they've decided like, they're going to like find this blood witch in Salem. Like it's a literal witch hunt. And at the same time, like r- like Hannah has met someone new and she's trying to like figure out like, like how do you start a romance while you're hunting the blood witch um, who might just kill everyone. Uh, and it's just, it's really fun. It's fast paced. I love the relationship dynamics Um, You know, like she does a really good job explaining like the toxic relationship that they have and having her character like turned away from it. It's it's really good. Um, And there's going to be a sequel, uh, which is exciting because this one was so much fun. Um, And I, I loved it. I definitely would have been excited about this when I was young, because seven generations back, my great grandmother was Elizabeth Howe, one of the Salem Witches. Um and, yeah, I'm related to Catherine Howe, the author who oh, wrote the physic book of Deliverance Stain. And right, like it sounds cool when you say it, right? And when I was young, yeah. I'd be like, Yeah, Salem Witch related. And it sounded and I was like, This is cool. But now as an adult, I'm kind of like, Well, the witch trials were actually about sexism and jealousy and land grabs. So it's kind mm-hmm. of really sad and nothing to get excited about. But it's it's hard because it still kind of sounds cool. So yeah. it's it's a hard thing to to come to terms with. Um, but this book is not. It's awesome and it's called These Witches Don't Burn by Isabel Sterling.
1: Sounds super good. It is. Have so, you read The Witches by stacy Schiff? I have. Yeah. Did you like it? I haven't read it. I did like it.
0: Um it's very dense, but I really enjoyed like I I liked a lot of the stuff I read about it. Most of the stuff like at the beginning that I read about what it must have been like to come over to this country and now you're living like in the woods and you're very religious and you don't know what those sounds are and you can't see mm. anything at night. And like of course you're gonna think like there are demons and witches and you know all these these terrible things in the night. I mean I've heard a fisher cat scream near my house and I would <laughs> totally if that happened to me in the woods uh, in the dark you know I'd be like, oh demons. So <laughs> I really like I really found that stuff fascinating. Cool. Would you please tell us about our next sponsor?
1: Yes, I would be happy to. So uh, this episode is sponsored by the audiobook edition of Birthday by Meredith Russo. Uh, So from the award-winning author Meredith Russo comes a heart-wrenching and universal story of identity, first love, and fate. Eric and Morgan have been best friends since day one. They share nearly everything together, even their birthdays. But Morgan hasn't been able to tell Eric his biggest secret. He knows that he's supposed to be a girl. Six years of birthdays reveal Eric and Morgan's destiny as they come together, drift apart, fall in love, and discover who they're meant to be and if they're meant to be together. Uh, The audiobook of Birthday is read by Dana Eliah Levinson. Um, And so Refinery29 says that in addition to being exquisitely written, Birthday showcases the best of YA, its ability to instill empathy in readers. Written by a trans author, Birthday gives an essential perspective into the trans experience. Um, And so Birthday will have you falling in love with Eric and Morgan as they fall in love with each other. A birthday is an own voices story about a transgender teen, and the audiobook re- is read by an own voices narrator, actor, and trans advocate, Dana Alea Levinson. Uh, the audiobook program includes a bonus interview with the author and narrator. So that sounds awesome. Fans and we high. thank them for sponsoring. Yes. All right. So my next pick is a book called Word Slut, A Feminist Guide to Taking Back the English Language by Amanda Montel. Uh, And this is a book looking at how gendered language shapes us. uh, And it is a book that challenges what we know about language and asks us to think differently about it. So um, in particular, kind of the general focus of the book is about how language has been used to uh, keep women and other marginalized people down by kind of encoding gender into a lot of the way we speak, whether we intend it or not. Um, So there are chapters about taking back slurs and negative words um, and whether like taking back a slur is even a thing that can actually happen and like what some of the linguistic complexities of actually trying to to do that means. Um, There's a chapter about what does like the word woman even really mean. And when we talk about sex and gender and women and girls and female, like, what are we even really talking about? Um, And how do we address words that kind of have an implied gender in them? So uh, like the idea of fireman or businessman, Um, but if you change that to firefighter or business person, like you're still kind of implying gender in that because a lot of language is still businessman is sort of like the default that we come into. And so even when you say business person, like you're sort of suggesting it's not a businessman, it's a person, it's a woman. And so like, how do those kind of implications in gendered language and like the way that they're built affect how we think about people and the world? Um, there's a chapter on how women talk to each other when men aren't around. There's one about um, what to do about people who try to correct your grammar all the time. Um, there's one about um, this one I found particularly interesting about how talking like a woman can be taken lots of different ways and how there's different levels of sexism depending our um, how different kinds of like registers of of female voices and stuff like the different ways that those are interpreted, um, and like even the acceptance of female voices in public discussion. So like Hillary Clinton is the best example of that, and how when she tried to speak lower and sort of more authoritative, people thought it sounded weird. But then when she talked like a normal person, it's shrill and argumentative. And so the book kind of gets into that too, and all those things we think about women's voices and how those are gendered and affect how women. Um, take positions of leadership. Um, So there's a lot of history, there's science, there's pop culture, um, there's a ton of stuff. Um, This is another like very chatty book. It reads a lot like she's just kind of talking to a friend, which I really liked about it um, because I think language like is fun to talk about. And so it's okay to be a little like casual about it and like really she kind of opens up all of these different debates and things and then kind of gives her opinion about, you know, whether we can take back certain slur words to be like empowering words or not. Um, It's just kind of her opinion on that. So um, it's just, it's super nerdy too. Like I'm an English major and one of my favorite classes in college was grammar and language, which was all about the history of English and how English kind of um, came to be this like mashup of languages and just like the the way that we the history of words and how they get put together, and so there's a lot of that in this book that I super loved, um, and then like lots of good like arguments and back and forth about language and words and what they mean and how we use them. So um, I think this is a great feminist, uh, very cool look at English and um, the English language and and how uh, gender works in that. Uh, arena. So uh, I enjoyed it very much. So that's Word A Feminist Guide to Taking Back the English Language by Amanda Montal.
0: Does the solution to people who are always correcting your grammar involve a bear trap and flamethrower? <laughs> I wish, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. That's so annoying. I used to be one of those people. I used to be a really pedantic grammar nerd. And then at some point I was like, boy, you are just being a jerk. Like, stop <laughs> it. Yeah. So now I try not to do that. So somewhat related, um, they announced
0: yesterday Benjamin Dreyer, who has Dreyer's English, which is a book about grammar that came out a couple months ago, Mm -hmm. has a new book about fiction and fiction writing (gasps) coming out.
1: Really? Cool. Next
0: year, I think it said, which is exciting
1: because he's awesome. That is. I uh, I haven't read uh, his one from this year, but I really want to. You're in for such a treat. Oh, good. Yay.
0: So my last pick for today is Other Words for Home by Jasmine Morga. It is a middle grade novel written in verse. It's about a young girl named Jude. She lives in Syria with her family. Um, It is tense there. Fighting is breaking out. Her brother starts... Uh, leaving the house and going to meetings against like where they talk about, you know, rising up against the president and how the president is wrong. And his father, their father is very upset with his, with her brother for doing this. Um, And they have a family store that, and they're trying to like pretend everything is normal. Whereas things keep getting tense in the country and uh, Jude's mother is pregnant and things start to get really bad. So her father sends Jude and her mother to america to new jersey to live with her mother's brother and meanwhile her brother is like nowhere to be found he's gone off with the resistance and the you know she's heartbroken but she has to leave so she ends up in new jersey she's staying with her uncle who is married to an american woman um they have a young daughter who is just kind of awful to jude she ignores her at school and she's very insensitive. And but at the same time, she is like really jealous of of Jude, because when Jude Jude understands like what uh, her cousin's like her cousin name is Sarah, like they, she understands what Sarah's father is talking about with Jude's mother when they're speaking Arabic and she doesn't speak Arabic. So she's like very jealous of Jude in that regard. Um, but she goes to school and she starts she speaks a little English, but she takes an English as a second language course and she makes some friends there. And there's a play that she's really excited about and she wants to audition for that. And she makes a friend named Layla, who is, whose family is from Lebanon, but she was born in America. She's, so she's an American. Um, and she people keep telling Jude how lucky she is, like how lucky she was to get away from Syria and the fighting that's going on there. Um, Layla tells her how lucky she is because she has a place where she belongs. Because even though Layla is American, people are always telling her to go home. And if she were to go to Lebanon, they would say she wasn't American, so she doesn't really fit in anywhere And people just keep telling Jude how lucky she is. Whereas she feels like, you know, she had to leave her home. She had to leave her friends. She doesn't know where her brother is. She doesn't feel lucky. Um, And then nine 11 happens and things turn really ugly. Um, You know, people telling Jude to go home and the, you know, the country just not because Jude has now started wearing a headscarf and things go really bad for her. Um, And, it's very sad, but it's also it's very eye opening, and it's it's very beautiful. Like the the language is beautiful, and it's like what it means to love a country and to be from a place that you know is feared, and uh, people are there are hated, and what it means to be a Muslim in the United States, and a lot of the things that happen to Jude are based on Jasmine Warga's own experiences, which reminded me of the intro that uh, Tahari Mafi writes for a very large expanse of sea and her experiences in high school around that same time they're just like they're they fill me with rage the the things that these these people experienced um and it's just I think it's really important that we read these kinds of books so this one isn't is for middle grade and but it's for everyone it's other words for home and it's by jasmine warga
1: sounds really good I was just looking it up on my phone and the cover is just gorgeous like what yeah. a beautiful yeah it's got uh, the girl in her headscarf but it looks like painted on my uh, yeah it's It looks beautiful, too, so I love that. Very cool. All right, so my last book is, I think, cheating a little bit because it's not out this week. It came out on May 7th, but I didn't get to talk about it on For Real, and it's so good that I wanted, like, an excuse to talk about it, so sorry for going off, uh, book, off book a little bit to do an older yeah, one. A problem. Little, little oldish, I don't know. May 7th. Um, so the book is called No Visible Bruises, What We Don't Know About Domestic Violence Can Kill Us by Rachel Louise Snyder. Uh, and so obviously, trigger warning for this book for domestic violence and sexual assault. Um, and I, I will say that the book is not graphic but it is very specific in its descriptions of domestic violence so like I didn't feel like it was sensational or like over the top but it is she's a journalist and so she's very precise in her language and how she describes things so uh, if those are triggers for you like this one will be difficult to read for sure um, but so the the book kind of starts with a frame of kind of putting domestic violence in a um, in a in context so a couple of the facts that stood out to me that like, I just, I just, didn't know this and I'm kind of shocked by it. Um, each day, 137 women are killed by an intimate partner or familiar or killed by intimate partner or familiar, familial violence across the globe. 137 women, like that's bananas. Um, and that 54% of mass shootings in the United States today involve domestic or family violence. So domestic violence, although we think of it as kind of a private issue, her argument is that it's really not, and that domestic violence is often something that we can connect to mass shootings and other public violence. So it's something we should be paying attention to. Um, so yeah, so her thesis is domestic violence instead of being a, rather than being a private problem, is is a most urgent matter of public health. Um, and so the book looks at um work done to address domestic violence and how that work has grown since the 1970s and 80s, which is uncoincidentally when the women's movement happened and the idea of battered women really started to gain traction. Um, So the book is split into three sections, focusing on kind of three different pieces of domestic violence. Um, The first is victims, looking specifically and trying to understand why victims stay in violent situations, both kind of the personal things that happen and like the institutional things that happen that... force victims to stay is not really the right phrasing, but that result in women staying in uh, abusive relationships. Um, the second section looks specifically at abusers and what violence looks like for abusers, um, and tries to look at like, can a man be taught to be nonviolent and how the culture of toxic masculinity kind of contributes to this. Um, and so she, um, goes to some prison, um, Prisons to look at some anti domestic violence programs that have happened and interviews people who have been jailed and served time for domestic violence to try and understand like what is that like, um, which I think is a, it's a really complicated but really interesting angle of the book and angle of trying to understand this public health issue. Um, and then the third section looks at change makers, so people who are like trying to address domestic violence and so tries to look at all of the things that can be done to try and help everyone in one of these situations. Um, And so she, I just, I I thought her approach was so carefully done. I really appreciate, like, you can tell, like, the thought that she has put into this book and in the way that she's approaching it. Um, And she acknowledges that domestic violence isn't just about men as uh, perpetrators and women as victims, but focuses a lot on that dynamic because statistically, that's kind of overwhelmingly what domestic violence is about. Um, And just the whole thing is written with such care and attention to detail. It's very, very... Very, very well done. Um, and I also appreciated that there's a nice, there's a strong narrative throughout the book. So each of the sections has kind of a central character, in air quotes, because these are real people. Um, but that central person kind of anchors the story and gives you something to grab onto, but also helps support these arguments she's trying to make about what is effective and what's not in trying to address domestic violence as a just public health problem in the United States. So um, I cannot emphasize enough, like how carefully and well done this book is. It's very, it's eye opening. it's infuriating, it's, it's very good. So I have very highly recommended if this is something you feel like you have the capacity to, to read about and understand more. So uh, the book is No Visible Bruises, What We Don't Know About Domestic Violence Can Kill Us by Rachel Louise Snyder. All right. Those are our new books. What are you going to read next? So I am right in the middle of uh, the audiobook of The Queen of the Night by Alexander Che, um, which I think is one of, it's a book you have recommended a oh, bunch. Yes. Like, back in, yeah, it's so good. Um, so it's basically um, Lilia Bernay, She's a sensation in the Paris opera. She's a soprano who has uh, just has accolades all over the place, um, but she has not had her own original role yet, which is kind of the the gold standard of being a, a opera soprano. So she, um, she has offered a role, but then discovers that the piece is actually based on it's The story is basically like her entire past, which she has worked super hard to keep a secret because she, um, she has a very complicated history and so she's worked really hard to keep that a secret. And, but this, this piece is based on that. And so she wants to try and figure out who could have betrayed her to tell her story that would have been turned into this opera that she's been, um, offered. And so she is kind of investigating and trying to figure this out, but also like telling her life story, which is like really gritty and rough start, but also these like fascinating, um, fascinating intersections of history and things that she has experienced. And it's just, I'm listening to it on audio and it's just so good. Like the narrator is great and you just like get inside her head and get to be part of like this very cool Paris opera world, but also just all this other stuff with courtesans and circuses and murders and all sorts of stuff. It's really, it's really, really good. So Queen of the Night by Alexandra Shea on audio, excellent. I am like, I don't know, I think I have like nine hours left or something like that. Wow.
0: Nine hours. My goodness. It's like a 16-hour audiobook, I think. (laughs) That's amazing. I am going to read uh, this evening. I'm going to treat myself to Carrie Mora by Thomas Harris that just came out Mm. on Tuesday. There were no galleys available, so I did not get to read it. Thomas Harris, of course, being the author of Silence of the Lambs, creator of Hannibal Lecter. I say this with the utmost love and respect when I say it sounds like a hot mess. And it, it <laughs> like I since I was a kid, I've been reading his books and I can forgive him pretty much anything when I read because I think his last couple of Hannibal books were hot messes. And I still read them anyway and just enjoyed them because I don't know, it's like nostalgia almost for me to read him. Um, and this one is not in the, the Hannibal uh, canon, but it's not getting great reviews uh so far like I've been watching the internet since it came out and but I'm just excited anyway. Like like he like he's awesome. He's like seventy-eight and he doesn't give interviews. He gave his first interview in like two decades recently. (laughs) This is his first novel in 13 years. I mean it's amazing. And I was trying to think when I was when I was looking this up, he has written this is his sixth book. Like sixth book in like 40 years, right? And he's very, very well off. And I was trying to imagine like which author has written the fewest number of books and made the most money? Like Oh man. Neil James, possibly? How many books does she yeah. have? Yeah. Four. You know, but I bet there's like somebody else, but I, I don't know. But I just thought that was an interesting thing to think about. Um Harper Lee, maybe? Yeah, like did she make like a ton of money
1: off that book? I wonder. I don't know. Or if she just is like super famous because of yeah. the book but didn't make I don't know. Yeah. So. Margaret Mitchell, I bet. Margaret Mitchell oh, maybe. actually, I bet. She, gone with the wind like she did make a lot of money off that but book she didn't live very long after the book so
0: no that's true yeah that's true huh. anyway just something to think about so yeah thank you so much for agreeing to be on all the books um, thank you, and thank you to everyone for listening uh, thank you to our sponsors fabfitfun go to fabfitfun.com and use the code books for ten dollars off your first box uh, the, go. You can check out the audiobook for Birthday by Meredith Russo. We will have a link to that in the show notes. It's available now. Uh, if you want to drop us a line and let us know who you think the author is who's made the most money, uh, you can reach us at all the books at bookriot.com. Uh, you can find us online. You can find Kim on Twitter at KimTheDork. Uh, I'm on Instagram most days at Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy reading! Happy reading.